0: This is With You in the Weeds.
1: Do you ever find yourself stuck in between what you know to be true and what you actually experience? Or the difference between where you are and where you want to be? Well, if so, you're in the weeds. And like weeds, those tough places keep coming back. I'm Lynn Roush.
0: And I'm John Tennant. As counselors, Lynn and I deal with those weeds all the time. Together, we designed this podcast because we want to be with you in those weeds, kind of like God desires to be with us. Hmm. Now, that idea will change everything. So we hope you'll listen in and let us be with you in the weeds. Let's get started.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome to With You in the Weeds. My name is Lynn Rausch, and I'm a licensed professional counselor, and we're glad that you've joined us today. We are in the middle of our managing your dysfunctional family series and we're actually at episode five so we're kind of flying through this series and I just want to alert you that we have a website so stop what you're doing right now and go to withyouintheweeds.com and sign up for our weekly newsletter and I think you're going to want to get this newsletter each week because it's going to be a concise recap of the episode and it's a great way to share this content with family or friends that you know Will benefit. So if you're making dinner, taking a walk, driving in the car, and you might think, hey, the team is talking about something that I, I want to take notes on or I want to go back to, if you get our weekly newsletter, then it'll be right there for you. So go sign up. But hey, guys. Are we ready to tackle sibling rivalry today? Shay, Austin, th- what do uh, you guys think? I
2: think so. Uh, I would also say about, you know, sharing that website, try not to do it in a passive-aggressive way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if, I don't know hey. if Shay would recommend that or not, but hey, right. I was thinking about you. thought yeah. you might want to check this one out. Kind of like when
1: you send the Sunday sermon to that right. person right. where you're like, I right. just kind of thought of you but when I heard this sermon. No random reason at yeah. all.
2: Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sibling rivalry. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to tackle it. I, I think so. I hope so.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, Shay, I think you and I are going to have a few things to chat about too, given that we've raised three kids and we know a little bit about sibling rivalry. Um, but today we're going to get to the heart of what many people struggle with in their families, and it's conflict among siblings. In other words, you might have a difficult or strained or a broken relationship with your sibling. In fact. You know, Shay, you've done a lot of pastoral counseling. I know you've done many, many weddings, many, many funerals for people in your 30 plus years of ministry. And I imagine you've probably run into many stories of families where relationships have gone wrong and it makes these events even more stressful and more difficult
3: yeah I I it's amazing how many uh, funerals I do and and uh, you see siblings come together and they haven't seen each other for years because there's been some sort of of conflict and uh, and then a parent passes away and and the funeral mm. <laughs> brings everybody a little, together a little again.
2: bit tense. Yeah. There's but, a, there's a different episode, horror stories of funerals. Mm. Oh, you know, yeah, anyway. that's
3: exactly right. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, um, our, our, our family, interesting, uh, speaking about this topic, we just saw the movie, uh, the iron claw, mm. uh, mm-hmm. over the holidays. I
1: don't know how he got me to go see it. Oh, I was not a, excited. It to was go so see. good.
3: Was it worth uh, Not a feel good movie though. Okay. okay. I mean, uh, talking about a dysfunctional family, but it's about this pro-wrestling family from Texas. And, um, you know, it, it, remember pro-wrestling was so big in the late 70s, 1980s. I remember that growing up, although I never really got into it. But basically, the movie, um, is a, it's a true story about a father who pushes his boys to be the, the world wrestling champions of the world. And uh, be, because of the this father's idol of being a champion that was denied to him— um, he pushes the boys so hard that he ends up pitting them against one another, and he ends up destroying the entire yes, uh, family.
1: truly it, destroying. And it, we won't give it, it, it away. It really you is a sad go see it, story. but it's very sad.
3: But uh, 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 kind of an interesting and I think a little bit funny, but at one point in the movie, the dad actually says to his sons, he's got them at the dinner table, and he says, right now, so-and-so is my favorite, and Bobby, you're second, and then he goes right <laughs> down the line. But then, it, so he ends up... Up, ranking his children according to how much he likes them. <laughs> but he says, you know what? This is always subject to change. <laughs> is, is that wrong? <laughs> You're right. should, I think that's right. Should we not have done that?
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> so it's basically a movie about sibling Gosh. rivalry yeah. um, caused by a parent. And and we're going to talk about that today uh, how sometimes, you, you know, it's, it's actually the parents that can pit their kids against one another. But, you know, it, it made me think of. Um, you know, James, 4.1 one, says this. It says he, he says, "What causes fights and quarrels among you? Um, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something but cannot have it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight, and so ultimately, sibling rivalry. Um, it, it's a sin issue, I think, that probably affects all of us, and." Um, you know, as we were preparing for this episode, it's amazing to think how sibling rivalry destroy often destroys families and and how we know so many families over the years. We've met so many families, maybe they've come from counseling or I just know people in the church where uh, the kids don't get along and and families are basically torn apart as a result
2: and you know what's what's funny i'm I'm stepping in here. you said a lot of times people have siblings and they grow up, you know, I'm an only child
3: mm, and
2: mm-hmm. If you're an only child listening, guess what? You might be married and you might have, you know, in-laws. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this is very relevant even to those only children out there because if and when you get, you know, married, you're going to have to deal with some of the in some step-siblings, not step-siblings, yeah. in-laws. Now, for me, I hit the in-law jackpot in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. uh, so that's great, but I know not everybody
3: does. Mm-hmm. So yeah. – um, and a, all you. Lynn fights like cats and dogs with her sisters. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's surprising how well you, all, you, how well you all do get along. I am. I am amazed. Shay, are you trying to blow up my uh,
1: family relationships on <laughs> this, this episode? This is good. good. Well, you know, and if we just think even back to, you know, the story of Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, right? The very first sibling relationships portrayed in the Bible ends in one brother killing the other brother out of jealousy. And so we're going to get to some of that. And we actually are going to tell some biblical stories because they help to normalize us and they put some of this into context. But it does seem that family relationships are often like both equal parts joy and pain, um, or so it seems to be. And I know we just did episodes on mothers and fathers, but, you know, today we do want to talk about brothers and sisters, maybe half brothers and sisters or stepbrothers and sisters, and how and why those relationships can be so difficult. And so here's the general flow of this episode. We're going to look at what are the circumstances that may create or continue sibling rivalry and what are the results. And so this is where we are going to look at how parents impact sibling relationships. And those are things that are outside of your control, right? You were born into that family and you didn't pick your parents and you don't have a lot of control over what they may do or say. But then we want to look at the role that you or I may be playing in creating or continuing sibling conflict. And so this is where we're going to address internal matters of the heart that are inside of your control. And then we just want to look at okay, what do we do now? How do we manage the here and now? Because the root of your sibling conflict may go back 30, 40, 50 years. It may go back generations, quite honestly. But what can you do today to deal with these challenging relationships? And so we're going to start by looking at those external circumstances, namely your mom and dad or primary caregivers that may have contributed or even still contribute to your sibling rivalry. And to do that, we're going to look at three main behaviors, if you will, or patterns that we see parents doing, either consciously or subconsciously, that seem to sort of infect some um, dissatisfaction, some difficulties between siblings. And those three things are favoritism, enabling, and financial disparity. So Austin, start us off with this whole idea of favoritism and how it shows up in families.
2: Favoritism, uh, the creation of the golden child, Mm. if you will. Mm -hmm. This is essentially when one kiddo is praised, valued, liked, prioritized above the other kids, no matter no matter however or how many they be. Maybe it's, you know, if you've got a blended family, maybe it's, you know, dad's kids are loved more than, you know, stepmom's kids. Um, can be seen through attitude of the parents, can be seen through resource allocation, you know, where one kid gets more money, more time, more attention than the others. You know, an example, maybe it was, I don't know if that showed up in the movie Iron Claw, you guys are talking about, but you know, I think athletic talent, and I'm kind of in this world right now with soccer and volleyball, and so I, I think mm-hmm. about it a lot. But let's say one kid has more athletic talent compared to the other kids, and the parents decide to go all in on making that kid successful. So you get the most competitive lead. You get private lessons with the trainer. You revolve your schedule completely around when those games are, all the while— The other kiddos are just kind of along for the ride and Mm -hmm. maybe they get their little cute hobby here and there, but by and large, everything revolves around this kiddo. Um, So that might be a modern day example, you know, a biblical example um, is uh, Joseph and he was the youngest of 12 kids. This is in the book of Genesis. Uh, Genesis 37 verse three says, now Israel, and that's the dad's name, Israel loved his youngest son, Joseph, more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. In other words, this mm-hmm. <laughs> is the last shot, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, the baby yeah, of the, the family. The baby of yeah. the family. The mm-hmm. baby of the families run the world. Yeah, oh, true. maybe, gosh. Anyway, uh, and Israel, he made Joseph a robe of many colors. Now, back then in this culture, uh, that would have cost the family a lot to create this. Um, there's more to be said about that, but here's a case of resource allocation. Uh, and guess who did not get this coat of many colors? all the other brothers. And Mm -hmm. what happened? Well, you can imagine, verse four, when the brothers saw that their father loved Joseph Mm -hmm. more than all his brothers, they hated him Mm -hmm. and could not speak peacefully to him. Mm -hmm. You know, Israel, the, the father, he favored Joseph pretty blatantly and explicitly. And this caused the brothers to be jealous of their brother, which culminated in their hatred of him. And if you know the story, he got so bad that, and they hated him so much, they ended up selling him as a slave to Egyptians, faked his own death, maybe made made the father think he was dead, but really, they put him in a pit to mm-hmm. be picked up by slavers and
3: And not only that, Joseph rubbed this in his brother's notes. That's right. right? So, <laughs> so, I mean, so mm-hmm. Joseph he contributed to it, but, but he's like, yeah, he, he, he was very clear, you know, dad favors me. He wasn't scot-free yet. He, he wasn't scot-free in so all good. this, but yeah. he
2: helped to create some of the, the, that's right. the jealousy. Which is why we're going to get to our part in the conflicts. Anyway, I, I bring this up because it shows what can and does result when the seeds of favoritism mm-hmm. are consistently sown in a family, and that's jealousy. You know, jealousy, if and when somebody's given more time, attention, and resources. And when that happens, the other siblings, just like we see in the biblical example, maybe to some degree you're seeing in your families, the other siblings are going to get jealous of the kid who's getting all the attention. Mm -hmm. And and sometimes it's going to be expressed openly. Other times it might go underground for long periods only to resurface, you know, later in life. So all that to say— I don't know, have you guys seen this show up in other places Mm -hmm. uh, in in terms of jealousy between siblings?
1: Yeah, I would say, you know, a lot of times uh, a mom will sort of have a favorite child Mm. and, um, you know, kind of cater to their needs um, you know, make special meals for them. You know, kind were of, you
2: were you at my house last night?
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, go above and beyond. Yeah. You know what's called for, and mm-hmm. you know there are times that you know certain kids need a little bit more of your affection or time or attention. But if that's something that you're doing consistently, you know, the other kids are going to pick up on it yeah. pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how your kids are, but our kids. They call us out if they think that, you know, like even at Christmas, you know, I mean, oh yeah, they're they're kind of looking at the number of gifts under the tree <laughs> to make sure that everyone but but think about that for real, totally, like that is a natural thing mm-hmm. that a child is scanning the environment and they're wondering, am I being treated? They have a
3: high justice radar, yeah, they, they they do. I, I think one of the challenges and being a parent is when one of your kids, you know, more identify with you in the sense of that you have common interests, you know, so your analogy of sports, Mm -hmm. Austin, you know, so if you like sports and one of your kids really likes sports, but the other kid is more musical and doesn't, you know, it's, it's easy to spend more time or to show in some sense favoritism towards the one who has common interests with you. And I, I think as parents, you really have to be aware of that, that dynamic going on and, and really work hard to um, balance things out, so to speak. Balanced, may, things yeah. may never be totally balanced, mm-hmm. but right. you can make an effort yeah. that a kid knows you yeah. love them, and you're taking an interest in the things that they take an interest yeah. in. And it
1: may never be equal, but it should be fair.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's e- right. you know, yeah. because
1: like every child does have different. That's right. You know, hobbies and interests. Some of those might be more expensive just yeah. by nature of what they are, but you know ultimately you're trying to communicate that each child is of equal value and equal worth and what we can see from this biblical story and many that we've you know seen play out is that when a parent you know sort of identifies a child as the quote favored child the natural result is going to be jealousy among yeah. siblings yeah. but what i want to talk about a little bit of what parents sometimes do that also can fan the flames of some of this discord amongst siblings is something that I would call enabling. And enabling, by definition, the very simple definition is when you do for someone else something that they can do for themselves. Now, that is a very simplistic definition, and I'm sure there's a lot more that we could say but this often occurs in a family where perhaps um, one of the family members has an addiction of some kind. And, and since we're talking about kids and siblings, let's just imagine for a minute that there might be a child in the family who you know, has an addiction to alcohol or drugs. Or maybe it's just a child who's you know, really kind of immature and irresponsible. They're just not willing to grow up and take ownership of themselves. And so if you can picture a family where There's this child who, you know, isn't really living up to their potential or taking care of their responsibilities. And the parents, instead of putting those boundaries and consequences in place in order to, you know, grow this child up and help them take responsibility. What happens instead is that the parents end up kind of bailing this kid out, you know, um, either uh, literally like Mm -hmm. bailing them out of jail Or just, you know, bailing them out of, you know, calling them out of school, making excuses to their teachers, covering up their misbehavior, um, you know, really soft peddling to the other siblings. Well, he didn't really mean that. He's really struggling or she really needs our special attention right now. And again, this kind of goes above and beyond, you know, some of the normal things that we might do for a child that's struggling and I don't want to minimize how you know complex and difficult these circumstances can be. I don't think any parent is really prepared for that when it happens. But what we see is that if the parents are putting all the time and all the energy into enabling one child, you know, that means that, that it's that much less time and energy spent on the other children. And so I've heard this from clients often over the years, that if they have a sibling who say needed that special attention. Maybe they were in and out of like a drug rehab or some kind of, you know, program where they needed, you know, extra help. And they watched their parents just desperately try to rescue and save this child, but nothing really ever changed. Maybe nothing really got better. And in fact, things only really did change or get better when the parents finally stopped enabling. But by then the damage was kind of done. You know, the other children in the family felt invisible. They felt missed. They felt like their hurts or needs weren't as important, like it wasn't even worth them bringing up their right. struggles because, well, it would pale in comparison right. to, you know, the sibling who's, you know, having all these, these troubles. And um, so basically kids learn that I can't really get the love and support that I yeah. need from my parents because all of their energy is going yeah. out It strikes me. It strikes me
2: as a, these dynamics, at least this one, it, the majority of cases don't happen intentionally. This is, you know, it's yes, as it a parent, might be
1: subconscious. man, it's
2: really hard to see your kid in pain. Absolutely. So I want to, yeah. you know, that that's really hard. And you're good to say it's complex. And at the very same time, mm-hmm. over time, if this continues, this is what's going to happen. You're going to enable one kid mm-hmm. and not allowing them to experience maybe some of the natural consequences of their decisions is going to have come out sideways Mm -hmm. to where you're enabling and what you know we talked about how favoritism can lead to jealousy what would you say enabling could lead to
1: yeah i think i was just thinking that it kind of just leads to distrust in the family Hmm. so you know a child learns that they can't really trust the parent to take care of their needs because they're very preoccupied with the other child but then it means they can't really trust each other you know as siblings where family love is scarce or you feel like your parent is giving more love or attention to the family, that kind of trust starts to break down. And you learn that I can't trust mom and dad. I can't really trust this sibling. And a lot of times this plays into many other dynamics of denial and lying and hiding. And we don't have time to get into that. But, you know, sometimes they say that alcoholism is a family disease And I think this is one of the reasons why, because when all of that focus and attention is going to one child, you know, everyone in the family is affected by Mm. this in some way. And, you know, it's wise that if you're a parent in that situation, that you learn what those dynamics are and you really strive to work against those, you know, and make sure that you're not enabling to the detriment of Mm. The needs of your other children yeah. that's just a takeaway I and, think
2: and maybe I missed this so you said this can lead to distrust I, I'm getting how let's say one parent shows more uh, attention to another kiddo and the kiddo would not want to trust the parents to meet their own needs how does that create distrust among siblings though
1: yeah well that that is a deeper question I think um Again, if we're talking about addiction, I think that there's just a lot of distrust mm-hmm. because there is usually lying and hiding mm. and covering up okay. of behavior. Okay. And I don't really want to get deeply Yo, sure. into that right now, sure. but let me just say that if, if you have a, a sibling, step-sibling, whatever, and they are in that cycle of addiction— Y- you really don't trust them. Sure.
2: And so maybe it's natural for other siblings to go, well, why is Joey always doing this? Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe they, they start to see things that they're hiding from mom and dad. Maybe mm-hmm. the other siblings get to see, you know, kind of some behind the scenes, uh, I don't know, behaviors where mm-hmm. it turns out things aren't really as bad, but this sibling is kind of hamming it up because mm-hmm. they know mom mm-hmm. and dad is going to mm-hmm. give them attention. And so maybe explicitly or implicitly, the other siblings or step-siblings, whoever are like, Joey's really faking it or it's not mm-hmm. as bad, which can lead mm-hmm. to distrust yeah. among siblings. Yeah. You're right. It is complex and we mm-hmm. don't need to go down there. But I just wanted to like make that yeah. connection, at least for myself. OK, okay.
3: favoritism, enabling. Mm-hmm. Shay, what's our next one?
0: Yeah, I, I think
3: <clears throat> another cause of... Sibling rivalry is also is usually financial disparity, and so I'm talking more about you know um, most likely when kids move out of the house and are grown. But um, you you know, my mom used to say that you really don't know someone until you have to deal with them over money, and it's it's maybe the most true piece of wisdom I've ever received from anyone. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, financial disparity shows up in a lot of ways. You know, one sibling. Um, begins to compare themselves to their other siblings in terms of money. Um, you know, why do they have such a nicer house or car? Or why is their family able to go on better vacations than my family? And, uh, you know, it leads to resentment and even bitterness and envy, and, 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 and envy. And, and envy is just like drinking a poison and hoping the other person dies. Right? It never brings <laughs> satisfaction. It never brings. It's a great happiness. illustration, and yeah. and it leads to all other kinds of strife in relationships. And, you know, I, I just wonder. I've just been as I'm thinking about this. If maybe the real cause of a lot of relational conflict with others and with siblings, our siblings, at the end of the day simply boils down to, to jealousy and, and envy. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's also amazing how many families are affected by rivalry. You, you maybe, maybe they get along well when the parents are alive, but then when their parents die and then the kids fight over money mm-hmm. or the possessions that are left. And I know of stories where siblings don't even speak to one another anymore. Yeah, because of this, um, mm-hmm. you know, my, my mom. I keep going back to how you know things she did and, and said, but uh, she was smart enough to make Lynn. Um, she gave her power of attorney so that myself and my uh, my siblings we wouldn't fight over the few mm-hmm. hundred dollars that right. <laughs> she left to us. Well, when she, she actually died. said to
1: me, she said, and she was not a woman of many means. You know, she mm-hmm. lived a very simple lifestyle. Um, And she said, when I die, even if I only have a penny left, Lynn, I want you to take that penny and cut it up into four pieces and give one to each of my children. She said, I do not want my children fighting yeah. about money after I die. And it, one of the reasons was because she had seen right. families and relatives around her where, you know, the parent dies. It's not clear in the will who gets what or maybe somebody gets more than the other. And that's it. Right. They never speak to each other again. I yeah. mean, it just creates such a deep rift.
3: And so have a will, have a clear plan for your kids, because I think my mom was right. You, you don't know someone till you have to deal with them over money. Money, the, the love of money is what mm-hmm. the cause of mm-hmm. all evil. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yep. so um, have a plan so that your kids don't end up fighting over things. Yeah. And it'd be smart to do that. But yeah.
1: the reality is, is You know, as much as we can put a lot of, maybe rightly so, blame at our parents' feet if they've, you know, done some of these things, the problems are inside of us as well. And we've kind of started talking about that with, you know, envy and jealousy. And we know that indwelling sin to one degree or another creates and continues sibling rivalries. So as hard as this is to do as we look into this step we do need to deeply reflect within ourselves and consider how might my sin be perpetuating sibling conflict. And it's, it's much easier to look, you know, and see the log in somebody else's eye, right? We don't think there's a log in our own eye, but in this part of our episode, we really kind of want to look at ourselves and Jesus helps us do that. Austin how, how do we do this, but but why is it so hard for us to do this?
2: Yeah, as as hard as it is to believe, Jesus makes it pretty clear. Um, Mark 7, Jesus taught his disciples that what comes out of a person is what defiles them. And I, I want to just make a clear distinction. Um, you, maybe you've heard us say this a long time. We have Genesis 1 and 2, which is the creation of people with dignity and value. That always stays there. Mm-hmm. Then you get to Genesis 3, and we have sin infecting out there and inside. And when Jesus is speaking in Mark 7, this is the person that he's talking to. This is the Genesis 3 self. And he says, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, which at the time was the exact opposite of the general consensus. And honestly, today seems like it too. So, so here's, here's a list of some specific fruit of our own sin mm-hmm. that, uh, as you said, Lynn, creates and continues these sibling rivalries. Now, if you're listening to this, when you hear this list, maybe just pause. For, for 30 seconds and just consider where and how one of these maybe all of them i don't know might apply to you okay so so here's the list if you want pause and just think about where these things might be present in your own heart and in this rivalry okay comparison mm-hmm. competition pride jealousy selfish ambition materialism you know we could go on and on but that, that's mm-hmm. a that's a pretty big and, and you're saying list. and I
1: think the point here is that These are things that spring up from within our own hearts, our own sinful hearts. So yes, mom and dad, they weren't perfect. They made mistakes. Maybe they even fanned the flames of some of this, you know, sibling conflict. Mm -hmm. But now we do have to look at our own hearts and say, this is on me. If I'm continuing to compare myself to my sibling, if I'm continuing to act from a position of pride If I'm continuing to just, you know, have selfish ambition driving these relationships, then I am perpetuating the discontent and the conflict amongst siblings. Yeah, Yeah,
3: and if you even think about the Bible, you know, you see uh, all over where jealousy tears apart so many uh, Mm -hmm. families. Um, In fact, probably jealousy is the the, the main factor in why um, there's also— there's often conflict in, in in relationships. And maybe one of the most amazing stories where we see that in the Bible is, you know, if you think about the story of Jacob and Esau. And I, I say it amazing because it, it it shows us just how, in some sense, God can still work in the midst of a dysfunctional family. Um, as we see two brothers who are feuding and actually they, they end up being reconciled at the end. But, but here's the story in a nutshell. I won't go into all of it, but and you can read about it in Genesis chapter 25. But Isaac and Rebecca have twins, Jacob and Esau. And even in the womb, (laughs) a little foreshadowing here, uh, we're told that they're fighting with one another. Uh, Jacob, in fact, is grabbing at Esau's hill as he's being delivered and and as he's being born. and, And in reality, in some sense, they represent the conflict that often happens between brothers. Mm-hmm. But Esau, uh, we find out, is uh, they, they're, they're both different. Both of the brothers are very different. Uh, Esau is a hunter um, and he's favored by his father, uh, Jacob. Uh, likes to cook, he has culinary skills, and he's favored by his so mother. So there's the
1: favoritism, yeah, yeah, like that we the, were just talking about. There's the parental about.
3: favoritism. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that makes this, this whole situation even worse. But long story short, Jacob, with the help of Rebekah, ends up stealing the family birthright. Uh, and, and that was promised to him anyway by God. But he ends up stealing the, the family birthright from Esau. And so Esau hates him and and plans on murdering him. And so Jacob takes off; he flees. And so there's conflict right away over social status and money.
1: So competition, comparison. <laughs> yep. I smell
3: like
2: a Netflix series here. Yeah, Jacob it, goes to mom, yeah. and they they they, t- they plot trick plot something. against the brother. Yeah. <laughs> so mom's got issues. Yeah. Mom's got issues. <laughs> and then, Dad.
3: gosh, this yeah. is a dysfunctional family par excellence, right? Right, right. Okay, but but it, uh, it, so sibling rivalry tears this this family completely apart. Um <clears throat> so much so that we almost have a Cain and Abel situation, right? Yeah. going on where one wants to kill the others. And so the brothers end up living separately uh for many years because of of sin, well, essentially, what,
2: what happens? What happens at the end? So, so I guess the the whole plot worked, right? Jacob, I think, gets the birthright, but but what happens after that?
3: Well, it's a great question, Austin. And, and the simple answer is is that Jacob ends up taking ownership of his sin, and he repents for his part in this conflict. And here's what happened: so so years go by of these brothers being estranged from one another. And Jacob goes from kind of one thing to the next in life to kind of find himself. He looks to money. He looks to relationships. He looks to status as being his identity. And eventually, God shows up, though, and, and tells him. So God intervenes in this. God is still working in the midst of this dysfunction, and he tells Jacob to go home and to be reconciled with his family and with his brother. And. Um, and and so I, I just want to point out, you know, God desires that that reconciliation take place in relationships, if at all possible. Yeah. And, and so some interesting things then happen that maybe teach us some lessons about reconciliation. And so first of all, Jacob uh, he he offers a gift to Esau. He hmm. he sends Esau a gift to signal he wants to mend the broken relationship. And maybe cool Esau down a little bit. And so it's a gesture of just goodwill. Yeah,
2: because probably they've been separate. This hasn't been addressed. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, this is like a pressure bomb that's just been growing in Esau. And Jacob knows this. So maybe this Mm -hmm. gift is meant to like, okay... Let's disarm some, you know, of the, some of the hatred, some of the bitterness that maybe has been welling up in Esau for so we long. Have That's an, exactly right. We
1: have a name for that in conflict in relationships. It's called a repair attempt.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: mm-hmm. you're you're making like a little move towards mm-hmm. repairing the relationship. So he sends a gift, and then what happens? Yeah, he
3: takes action to, to, to seek reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, we're told, and maybe this is the most important thing, is he just— Praise to God, and he asked God that he find favor with Esau and that the relationship be restored. And I, I don't want us to just skip over that, hmm. but but he really prayed for God to intervene. And so, whenever there's been a broken relationship of any kind, don't don't forget to pray and ask God to work. And, and so, what happens in the story? Well. Um, God. Be careful <laughs> how God up, answers careful, your prayer. Careful, careful, careful what you oh, wish for. The answer for. to the prayer is God shows up and wrestles with Jacob. Mm. I mean, and so it goes Wait, back to what? My, the opening movie. He gives him the claw, basically, <laughs> the iron claw. And uh, he, he, he body slams him. And we know that this angel... That Jacob was wrestling with was, was probably the second person yeah. of the Trinity. And this is in general. This is yeah. Genesis 32. You want a wild story. Just go read this. Anyway, yeah. keep going. Yeah, it feel. is. It's it's one of my favorite stories, actually, yeah. in, in all of the Old Testament. And, um, and and so God he ends up wounding Jacob. So Jacob uh, he he uh, displaces his hip. And so mm-hmm. Jacob will walk with a limp his whole life after this. In other words, I think Jacob, what God does to him is he humbles him in this situation. And he realizes that in this moment of wrestling with God himself, that he had been looking to find his identity in all these wrong things. And he realizes, his eyes are open, that what he needs most was a relationship with God. And he ends up saying I, I, to, this, to, to God, he says, I won't let you go. Until you bless me. Um, in other words, he realizes the one he's wrestling with is his blessing and life. And uh, he ends up losing this wrestling match with God, but he ends up winning because he finds God in the midst of it. And, and, and so he then, after this wrestling match, he then goes to Esau fearing the worst And what does he do? He ends up kneeling, we're told, before him seven times. In other words, he humbles himself before his brother, and he asks for forgiveness. And Esau forgives him, and the two are reconciled. Now, listen, I'm a realist. I I know that there are many families that never experience even a basic level of reconciliation that looks like this story that we find in the Bible. And uh, it is interesting that even though Jacob and Esau forgive each other, um, we're told that they still keep their distance from one another. That's a good point. You know, and, and sometimes that happens. As far as we know, they they never saw each other again hmm. uh, until Isaac, their father's funeral. Interesting. Um, and and sometimes that's unfortunately the case. The the, in other words the relationship might not go back to what it looked like before. Um, and, and sometimes healthy boundaries, I think, are, are good, even though forgiveness can, can, take, can happen and can take place. But, but let me just mention this from, from this story. Um, I, I just want you to pause and ask yourself the question, are there maybe idols like money or status or just the sin of pride that has caused a rivalry in a relationship with assembling, or uh, maybe some other friendship. And, and I think what this story is teaching us is that, like Jacob, we need to see that God is our blessing, and, and he's our identity and life. And because of that, It it, it frees our heart from being captured by these idols, and therefore it frees us up to go and to forgive and be reconciled. And and let those things that have become between ourselves and our siblings go.
0: Mm.
3: In in other words, we need to do some heart work here. And and so uh, stop comparing yourself to others and what you think you have or don't have. Because if you have Jesus, you have everything. And so you, you don't need to compare. You don't need to compete. Let, let it go. So it doesn't have to be the case that the next time you see maybe a sibling or friend is, is at a funeral. Because you know what? Life is short, and you're going to miss out on relationships when that other person is gone. And so don't live with regrets when it comes to your relationships. Uh, Paul says, as far as it depends upon you— be reconciled, and and we need to listen to that, to that piece of wisdom.
1: Yeah, I've been reading um, Psalm thirty four a lot recently, and there's a verse in there that I think summarizes this in many ways, and it just says, "Depart from evil, and do good; seek peace, and pursue it." And I just thought, wow, if we just kind of put that thought at the forefront of our relationships, you know, turn from evil seek to do good, seek peace, pursue it. That doesn't always mean it ends in, you know, a one big happy family and things are restored, but we can certainly take that ownership on our own part and do our best in that. And I think this just leads us to the last part of the episode. Uh, You know, what do we do now, right? Um, We're living in the here and now. I'm sure there are many issues in your family that are very deeply rooted There's a lot of history, there's a lot of water under the bridge, but we have this present reality that we need to know how to manage. And so we kind of came up with some what we think are some practical things that you can do to manage the here and now. And it starts with kind of where we are, like looking at ourselves internally. Austin, what can we do to take ownership for ourselves.
2: We'll get to the external uh, in just a second, but starting with the internal, first thing we can do is uh, apologize. Well, taking ownership, just like, what were you talking about, Shay? Jacob took ownership of his Mm -hmm. own heart uh, and he repented of his sin. And and that ownership and that repentance, that can look like apologizing. Mm -hmm. You know, Matthew 5, verse 23, Jesus says, if you're offering your gift at the altar... Uh, there. Remember your brother or sister has something against you. In other words, you're doing all of the right performance things and you go, wait a minute, I've got something against my brother or sister or friend. Jesus says, verse 24, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. And so the point and the relevance here is prioritize apologizing for your part in any sort of conflict or any sort of rivalry. Don't put this off uh, until it feels convenient or, you know, you'll have time. Because honestly, you'll always, at least I will always come up with an excuse of why I can't do it. Mm -hmm. But his point here is do it sooner than Mm -hmm. later. So apologizing Mm -hmm. is a really good first step or way we can take ownership.
1: Yeah. And to try to keep short accounts, right? (laughs) Because I think a lot of these things just simmer and brew for five, 10, 20, 15, 30 years, whatever. Right. And so we're saying, Jesus is saying, deal with it now. Right. Because Shay, like you said, life is short. We don't know how much time we have. That's Mm -hmm. a really good one. I think another way to help us maybe like warm our hearts a little bit, if we have a, a sibling that we you know, don't have a very close relationship with, or there's been some conflict. And that would just be to empathize. And, you know, empathy is basically putting yourself in someone else's shoes and trying to see the world from their perspective. Now, this may be the last thing that you want to do. If you're dealing with someone who you felt has hurt you, maybe you felt shortchanged, from, you know, a sibling your whole life. And, you know, this this may not be something that sounds like something you want to do, but if you can just suspend judgment for just a moment and just put that on the shelf and just try to step into the shoes of your sibling and just see what would it li- be like to be him or her? You know, what was it like for them to grow up in our family? Because the reality is, is each sibling has had a different experience with mom or dad, even even though you grew up in the same family, you experienced mom and dad differently than you know your brother or sister may have. And so by stepping into their shoes, it may give you some perspective on their actions. It may help you understand why they've done some of the things that they've done. Again, it doesn't make it right. It doesn't justify something that they've done or if they've sinned against you, but every behavior comes from a context or a reason. And so it's helpful to just try and understand what might that reason be. And you can do that by just trying to empathize.
3: Yeah, Lynn, that's a really great point. Um, putting yourself in someone else's shoes. Uh, I'll just add one more. Um, I, I would say, you know, taking ownership and repenting of our sin might look like restitution. Um, m- maybe if it's appropriate, make restitution financially um, if you've caused harm. Um, I, I know of someone who who cheated a brother out of money, and so he went and he paid him back even more than what was owed to make it right, and to offer a peace offering, so to speak, to to simply mend the relationship. And so I think the question is that we have to ask ourselves: Is are we willing to own what we've done and and do whatever it takes um, to to bring about restoration? That that's the question.
2: Yeah. So that I mean, that financial gift that the person you did, it probably, that was done with no strings attached. Right. Right. Money can be used as a way to manipulate, control people. But this example and giving restitution is here you go. I want to make it right. Mm-hmm. You know, we're settled no other obligation necessary. That's a great, that's a great point. So, uh, okay, apologizing, empathizing, giving restitution or some of those internal ways just to manage the here and now, but there's also some ways we can manage those externals, you know, those problematic dynamics going, out, going on out there might be the things that your siblings keep doing. Maybe it's the ways your parents are continuing uh, the rivalry, but, but here's a few actions and principles uh, you guys might consider. Number one, two-letter word, <laughs> no. <laughs> say no.
1: Say no. You know,
2: try to have healthy emotional boundaries. Um, your siblings, mm-hmm. they they may not be the the safest or the most trusted people, no matter how much you wish that they were. And so to them, you, you might have to say no to joining one of the alliances the siblings are trying mm-hmm. to make. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you say no to parents pressuring you to reconcile and make up. Will you just make it right and hurry up and, you know, make mm-hmm. my life better? Well, maybe you have to say no. Uh, Maybe you say no to believing and admitting that we're just one big happy family. I don't know what what that looks like for you. Um, But if and when you start saying no, I think you're on the way to the next one. Um, Lynn, tell us more about this one. Yeah,
1: so this is a very practical way to um, try to address the here and now of some family drama if you feel like you're in the middle of that. And that is just simply to avoid being triangulated um, in the family, you know, that game that we used to play growing up, the telephone game, where mm. it's like, you know, instead of having direct communication with someone, instead, you pass a message down and it gets filtered through <laughs> many right. people. Right. And then the person at the end has like no idea what the original message was. Well, this fa- happens in families all the time. Instead of like, Austin, if you were my brother and I had, a, an, an, a, you know, you had offended me or hurt me somehow. The healthy way would be for me to go directly to you. Straight to the source. And say, you really hurt my feelings when you said this or that, you know, can right. we talk about that? Instead, what happens is I go to mom and I complain, can you go talk to Austin about this? Or, you know, you pull in another sibling, you know, and you kind of spill the tea on that. And you, you try to rope so many people in. And so what happens is, is now you're pulled into a triangle and... If you start to recognize, oh, you know, mom's calling me complaining about dad because now she wants me to mediate and be like, play the marriage therapist between them. That is a triangle that you can pull yourself out of. Run
2: far, run fast. And
1: just say, no, mom, (laughs) this is not appropriate. I am not your and dad's marriage therapist. Mm -hmm. You guys need to go talk to someone else about that. So anytime that you sense that, you're being triangulated and if you can say no to that i can promise you the drama in your life will decrease by about 90% because you're not you're no longer p- part of the conflicts that other people are having that maybe they are refusing to deal with. So I think that's a very practical thing to do.
3: And, and usually you go to other people. You you draw other people in because you you basically want to gossip, right? And you want to you don't tear, want to deal with the root. You, yeah, yeah, you want to tear the person down to make you know yourself mm-hmm. feel better. And so I, I like Lynn. I think you use the Wizard of Oz. Uh, Illustration a lot. Oh, the flying monkeys. The the witch sends out the flying monkeys to do her bidding. Right, her bidding. Right, and Mm -hmm. so we. We like to triangulate. We like to pull mm-hmm. other people into the conflict. To, Don't, be do <laughs> Don't be a flying monkey. Don't be a flying monkey. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> <laughs> we'll I think we'll of get that in. illustration a lot, yeah. by the way. It's we'll really get into good. that more
1: on another episode. Another
3: thing I might mention real quickly, and, and I think we've already touched on this a bit uh, from the Jacob and Esau story, but sometimes we just have to love from a distance. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, e- Even though Jacob had repented and was forgiven by Esau and there was reconciliation— but like I said, they, they they never saw each other again. They, they had to have—there was boundaries in the relationship. And so forgiveness and reconciliation, I, I want you to know, are different. Um, I, we, we can forgive someone and still not trust them, nor should we trust them if they're not a trustworthy person person. And so I right. just, I just want to make sure that we mm-hmm. understand yeah, important that. distinction. It's really yeah. good.
1: And then I think the last thing is just, you know, you may look at your family and think, wow, things are so broken. I thought, you know, my brother or sister were going to be my best friends in adulthood. And, and it's not. And there may be many reasons for that. Um, but that's kind of the great thing about the body of Christ is that we can get some of those familial connections and relationships within the context of community in God's family. So you may grieve the loss of, you know, I I'm not close with my sister or my brother, or, you know, we don't speak to each other anymore. And we probably never will, but yet you can build some healthy relationships with people um, in a in a church community, with mentors, friends, small groups. There's lots of ways that you can still have those uh, relationships if that hasn't gotten resolved on yeah. earth, you know?
2: That's good. Last thing, and certainly not least, and we should I probably should have put this first, but just pray you know Shay, you mentioned this earlier pray for your own ability to endure and persevere in and through some rivalries and pray for humility in discerning what your role might be in the conflict and apologizing and repenting of what you need to do and pray for courage to do that right we we've all got great intentions it's one thing to say it and think about it it's another thing to do it so actually you know pray for follow through pray for justice and healing to be done in the midst of these conflicts there's there's likely just so much out of your control and it's good for us to give those things to God and and ask him to work him to move him to him to help.
1: Yeah, and I think you know we've covered a lot today but I do hope as I as I sort of try to picture my listeners sometimes our listeners and I know a lot of you are dealing with these types of situations and so we just hope that you consider uh, some of the points that we've made. Consider some practical steps that you can take to either make an attempt towards repair or just simply work on your own heart for the time being and entrust the rest to God. So,
3: And don't forget, you really are your brother's keeper, right? <laughs> I mean, we really—God's given us that that role to play, and so we should— um, seek to mend relationships with, with our siblings as best we can. Mm. Yeah, yeah, try to
1: value the family that God has given you to the to the best of your ability. It's great. All right. Well, thanks for being with us today, and stay with us as we continue with this series. See you guys next time.
0: Adios. Thanks for listening, and thanks for letting us be with you in the weeds of your life. We want this resource to bring you hope and to help bridge the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Check out our website, withyouintheweeds.com. You can find all our episodes there and a whole lot more. Or if you like what you're hearing, simply follow us on Instagram. Like us and leave a review. Until next time, remember, God is with you in the weeds.